When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. The wrestling world is full of rumors, myths, and downright lies about your favorite superstars. And the bigger the star, the bigger the bullshit. With that in mind, I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, and these are 10 misconceptions about Hulk Hogan you probably believe. Number 10. The leg drop was a low-risk move. One could be forgiven for thinking Hulk Hogan's leg drop was a weak move that couldn't even hurt a fly. After all, usually Hogan's leg barely made contact with his opponent's chest or neck. But none of this means that the leg drop never hurt anyone. In fact, Hogan himself was seriously injured by the move. In a typical Hogan leg drop, the Hulkster jumped high into the air and landed squarely on his arse pelvic bone if you want to get technical about it, compressing his spine. Hulk was essentially giving himself an atomic drop night after night for decades. By the time he was 55, the damage to his spine had caught up with Hogan, who needed eight back surgeries between 2009 and 2013. And the aspiring wrestlers out there, choose your moveset wisely. Number 9. Vince McMahon Created Hulkamania As everyone knows, Hulk Hogan's defeat of the Iron Sheik on the 23rd of January 1984 was the birth of Hulkamania. That's when Vince McMahon, visionary that he was, decided to put the weight of the company on the shoulders of the unproven muscle man. But a much better candidate for the birthplace of Hulkamania is actually Rocky III, the 1982 international blockbuster film where Hogan played Thunderlips, the massive pro wrestler who towered over Sylvester Stallone's character in the opening scenes. And even before then, Hogan proved so popular amongst fans of the AWA that Vern Gagne turned him babyface in 1981 and even had him win the promotion's heavyweight title on three occasions, only to overturn the decision each time and alienate both Hogan and the fans. In June 1982, over a year before he rejoined the WWF, Hogan was the main guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where he discussed the new craze of, you guessed it, Hulkamania that was sweeping the nation. And yes, when Vince put the title on Hogan in 1984 and put the whole company behind his new star, it was hardly a gamble. Hogan was already plenty popular around the country before Vince came along. Number 8. 
he was a hyper-masculine caricature. Between footage of him tearing his shirt off, flexing his muscles and generally acting like a big sweaty ball of testosterone, it's easy for a casual fan to look back and assume that Hulk Hogan was simply an unhealthy stereotype of, as he called himself in Rocky III, the ultimate male. In reality, Hogan displayed a far greater range of feeling than a John Cena or a Roman Reigns. Hulk had a sensitive side. Specifically, he cried when the situation called for tears. He cried tears of joy after beating Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. He cried tears of anguish after being blatantly cheated out of his title the following year. And he cried tears of grief while tending to an injured Miss Elizabeth backstage the year after that. Somehow, WWE's depiction of what a man should be has regressed over the past 30 years. Number 7. He always wrestled on TV. Hulk Hogan wrestled only about 60 matches on free TV over his most famous 10-year run with the WWF. John Cena wrestled half that many TV matches in 2012 alone. Aside from the smaller quantity of programming and the lower frequency of TV tapings in those days, Hogan's scarcity in the ring on TV was due to the business model of the wrestling industry. Wrestling programs were put on TV for promotion, not for ratings. If fans wanted to see a Hulk Hogan match, they would either have to buy a ticket, purchase a VHS tape or order a pay-per-view. By wrestling so rarely for a nationwide audience, Hogan avoided overexposure and extended his run at the top, which makes John Cena's run as WWE's top draw even more remarkable. Number six, he was universally loved by fans. Firstly, there were plenty of wrestling fans who loathed Hulk Hogan and his style of wrestling. However, in the 80s, before Vince McMahon had gained a virtual monopoly on the sports entertainment industry, those fans had alternatives in the form of the well-established NWA and AWA. If fans hated Hogan because he wasn't like Ric Flair, they could just watch Ric Flair rather than try to shout down kids at live events with dueling chants of, let's go Hogan, Hogan sucks. Secondly, even the fans who did show up to WWF events weren't always supportive of the Hulkster. In late 1986, Vince McMahon scrapped a planned feud between Hulk and Jake Roberts, protecting Hogan's popularity after a good number of fans cheered Roberts against the WWF's top star at house shows. When Sid Justice eliminated Hogan from the 1992 Royal Rumble, viewers could see and hear cheers from the fans in the audience, which were of course dubbed over with boos in replays. Fans at Monday Night Raw the next year booed when Vince shouted Hulk's name. They chanted Hogan sucks as his King of the Ring opponent Yokozuna vowed to crush the champion. No wonder Hogan left the company right after the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Or could that be another misconception? Number five, he left the WWF after losing the title to Yokozuna. On the 13th of June 1993, Hulk Hogan lost his fifth WWF title to the behemoth Yokozuna. Because Hogan wouldn't appear until signing with WCW the following year, most assume that this angle was a way to bury the outgoing superstar. But a little digging reveals that the King of the Ring match wasn't intended to be Hogan's farewell match. Although Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji immediately gloated about killing Hulkamania, these were standard heel tactics rather than an official McMahon approved declaration that Hulk Hogan was finished with the company. In fact, Hogan repeatedly beat Yokozuna on the European tour later that summer, failing to recapture the title only due to the interference of Mr. Fuji, who 
through the DQ. Hogan even started a new angle that summer with Giant Gonzalez, staring down the alleged eight-footer a few days later after a dark match at the WWF Superstars taping. As late as September, Hogan continued being promoted on TV by the WWF, which aired promotional videos for his new film, Mr. Nanny, on Monday Night Raw. Only when Randy Savage delivered an on-air diatribe about Hulk Hogan the person while providing commentary for Raw the following month was it safe to assume that the WWF's relationship with Hogan was over. Number four, he was old when he joined WCW. The truth is, Hogan was only 40 years old when he signed with WCW. To put that in perspective, both The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels were 50-sodding three when they crawled out for WWE's crown jewel. Even regular top stars AJ Styles and Brock Lesnar are 41 apiece. Neither is headed for the retirement home anytime soon. Bret Hart, the WWF champion at the time and part of this youthful new generation, turned 37 the summer that old man Hogan started working for the competition. And in the biggest irony of all, the King of the Ring pay-per-view that launched the Federation's new generation theme and kicked off years of age-based Hogan bashing was headlined by the, oh yeah, 40-year-old Roddy Piper and the 44-year-old Jerry Lawler. Number three, he was always a role model. Despite Vince McMahon dismissing Hogan during the Attitude Era as a superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins, the Hulkster could be anything but a do-gooder in the ring. At WrestleMania 4, Hogan interfered behind the referee's back with an unprovoked chair shot to Ted DiBiase, delivering a victory to Randy Savage. Against The Undertaker, Hogan dumped the ashes from Paul Bearer's urn, grabbing a handful of human remains, don't forget, and flinging them into his opponent's eyes to blind him and allow a surprise victory. And at the Royal Rumble, Hogan's poor sportsmanship really rears its ugly head. In 1989, when the boss man and Akeem legally eliminated Hogan, an enraged Hulkster refused to leave the ringside area, instead pulling down the top rope to eliminate the boss man as retribution, not them. At 1992's Rumble, Hogan flipped out when his friend Sid Justice eliminated him towards the end of the Every Man for Himself match in retaliation for trying to win the match. The already eliminated Hulk helped pull Sid out of the ring, delivering a victory to the hated Ric Flair. What? Number two, he was always on steroids. Right, Hulk Hogan took steroids. A lot of steroids. For a long time. All of this he himself has admitted under oath. But what you might not realise is that Hogan was steroid-free for a good portion of his career. In testimony at Vince McMahon's steroid trial, Hogan claimed to have weaned himself off steroids several years earlier after discussions with his wife, last taking the drugs in 1990. He had thus begun a gradual transition from really, really huge to just huge as the drugs left his system. In early 1992, when the steroid scandal finally implicated him by name and threatened to tank his career, Hogan's physique abruptly shrunk down to jarringly slim proportions in the two-and-a-half-month period between 1992's Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. It's not that Hogan had just then stopped taking steroids and immediately withered away like Bane in that awful Joel Schumacher Batman movie. It's just that Hogan could no longer afford even the appearance of still being on steroids, so he deliberately lost weight in that period. TV announcers played off this massive weight loss as strategy by Hogan to improve his speed and quickness. Hogan kept this physique euphemistically dubbed Lean and Mean for many years, including during his run in WCW, which had a, let's say, notoriously lax steroid policy. 
Number one, he couldn't wrestle. It's true that in North America, Hogan exhibited little to no wrestling technique, as WWF fans were quite content to watch the Hulkster clobber his way through matches before finally deciding to stop selling his opponent's offense. A series of punches, a big boot and a leg drop then led to a Hulk Hogan victory. It was a winning formula. But in Japan, being a gaijin with something to prove, Hogan needed to display more finesse and scientific wrestling to win over the discerning crowd which he did with tremendous success. While wrestling abroad, Hogan used toe holds, go-arounds, cross-arm breakers, hammerlocks, and yes, even wrist locks. He wouldn't win any amateur competitions, but Hogan put on respectable performances in the land of the rising sun. In 1993, Hogan told the Japanese press that he preferred working in that country where he could, quote, wrestle and not bullshit. But of course, the reason this last myth endures is the Hulk went right back to his old habits as soon as he returned to the States.